Okay, so welcome. <laughs> Second and third John. Uh, most people don't spend much time reading these or studying these. And if it is read, it's one of those deals where it was in my Bible reading plan and I read it, but I don't know anything about it. And so why is it that most people, us, don't spend time reading and studying Second and Third John? Just, just why? It's so simple. It's not- simple as in the words are simple, simple theology, or, or it's just small? There's not much to it? Not much to it. Okay. It seems like a salutation to a letter. Okay. Salutation to a letter? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it seems like. No, no. <laughs> Repetitive. Repetitive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you know it's repetitive? Because I've heard these, I've heard, I've heard it before. Okay. <laughs> it, it seems as though that we have an infatuation um, with grandness and largeness. If it's bigger, it's better. If, if, if there's more to it, then it obviously has to be more worthwhile. I mean, that's just, that's our natural bent. Um, and you're right. The uh, Second John is what thirteen verses, the whole book. Um, and you're right. Third John is is obviously written to a man that's named, and it's all of uh, how many verses? Fourteen verses. And so it's like, well, there must not be much there, right? I mean, isn't that we're not drawn to First and Second John? Like John is so prominent of a gospel. And he's so prominent as an author and the crafter of, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation. But you get to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. 1st John feels a little bit better because at least it's the first one. <laughs> I think it was five chapters. 2nd and 3rd John feels like an afterthought and then a P.S. Uh, but we've got to remember that all Scripture is profitable, right? Yeah. Training righteousness, correction, rebuke, and all that stuff. Um, and it is true that um, Second and Third John were written for, to a very specific uh, person or group of people. Second John we're not really sure of. Third John we're very very sure of to an individual um, during a very specific time about a very specific thing that was going on, um, and they are tucked away in the back. I could ask the same questions about the Book of Jude. Well, I mean, who, who really reads that? The book of Philemon's another one, right? Who really reads the book of Philemon? These short little weird, they're beautiful though. Sometime I'm going to do a study on, on Philemon. It's really, it is a master class in how to uh, uh, Bibli- uh, God, in a godly way manipulate somebody. <laughs> I mean, Paul does a wonderful job um, uh, in, in the best way uh, that that could be done. Um, but anyway, so Second John. Um, first, second, third John and Revelation were all written about the same time. It's generally accepted Revelation was the last thing John penned. Um, though there's no exact dates for any of this, but first, second, third John were written right around the same time as well. And so one of these is the last, doesn't really matter, um, as far as that time frame. But we do know that there was a lot of persecution going on during this time. A lot of persecution. Matter of fact, the reason uh, or the, 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 play, the location where he wrote the book of Revelation was the island of Patmos where he had been sequestered as a prison island because of the persecution under Nero um, and then Domitian. Uh, and so this was written right around the same times as well. So that gives us a little bit of insight as to why, how he starts this letter. Second John verse one, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also, uh, also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. So he addresses this as coming from the elder, right? Why does he, why, why does he call himself the elder? Because no one's older than him. Because <laughs> he's the old man. He's the old man. I mean, he's in his 90s at this point. And so when you reach 90, you can refer yourself as to the elder. So uh, to the chosen lady and her children. Who's he talking about? Any ideas? Chosen lady, maybe the church. Yeah. Mary? Mary. 
Yeah, and we don't know who he's talking to, but let's just understand the context of this whole thing. There is extreme persecution going on of the Christian church. So that gives credence to the idea that this is written to the church, because in the New Testament, the church is called the Bride of Christ, right? So to the chosen lady and her children, the church and those who attend. So this could be a letter written to the, the church as a whole. Not wanting to specify a person or necessarily a specific location or whatever because of the persecution. That if, this, if this were to, to fall in, in, into the hands of the empire, Star Wars reference, uh, you know, it's one of those, help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. You know, if, if it falls into the wrong hands, it could be really perilous for those who are gathering in these house churches. And so it, it could be from, from that John chose to say, just to the chosen lady, meaning the church and all that you be. There is some who think it could be Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and again, not wanting to call her out by name because the same persecution. Uh, also calling her the chosen lady because why? When Jesus was on the cross, he told John, this is now your mother. Mother, this is now your son. So she's like the chosen one that he positioned to take care of. The only issue with that, that, that I have with that, is that if John is 90, 91, She's now, I mean, maybe 15 to 20 years older. So she's she getting up there. And we, we don't know how long she lived. It, it, this could be her, though. The point is, we don't exactly know exactly who this was to. I, I'm, I'm going to take this as if I'm going to interpret this as if this was written to the church and to me as a child of the church. Does that make sense? And so I think that's the, one of the best ways we can, uh, we can uh, approach this. Um, because the, cause what is given here is applicable and transferable across generations and across people. Whether, whether this was written to, uh, to Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, or to the church, um, it was written to somebody. What does your book say? Your book's called a Bible. And it's, what does your book it says, say? The Dear Woman, Cyria. Um, wow. Syria, one of God's very own. Um, yeah, that's what it says. There's no, that's, that is not at all in. Don't touch it. Yeah, yeah. That's not at all in the original language. So it's a good thing we have this though. Yeah. Um, he says, "Whom I love in the truth." Um, John. John comes back to a few different themes over and over and over and over and over. Uh, and he comes back to the issue of love and the issue of truth. Um, and the, out, out, the outcome of love and truth is always obedience. And this was over and over and over too. Um, he says, I, I love you in the truth. And not only I, but all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us. And will be with us forever. He says, I love you in the truth. What one of the things John is saying is, is that my love for you and love in general cannot be separated from the truth. Those two have to go hand in hand. Love and truth. One of the things that we see in our day and age is an emphasis on loving people, but not an emphasis on truth. And, and, and when John talks about truth, what he's talking about is, is doctrinal truth. And we've talked about that a lot through 1 John. And specifically the doctrine of what we call the hypostatic union, the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he's saying you cannot separate these two things from what it is to be a Christ follower, from the Christian faith, love and truth. And unfortunately... Um, we live in a, in a, a post-truth era where I can have my truth and you can have your truth. And it is amazing to me how two completely divergent statements can be made and both of them be understood as truth in this culture. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That if I say um, my goldfish is in my fish tank full of, with, uh, you know, that's full of water and... My fish tank is completely empty. Both of those cannot be true. But our culture would say, well, yeah, one is your truth and one is another truth. And 
I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. So much so that chromosomes don't mean anything anymore. The truth of, a, of, 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 of chromosomal truth is not, isn't a thing. I have my truth, and my truth says I am this. Um, and and what, one of the things John is saying is you, you, you can't separate love and truth. Uh, and some of the most loving things we can do is tell the truth. I was just talking to a lady in the parking lot, uh, walking into my office. She goes to our church, and she has been trying to get her brother to come to church for a long, long time. And she saw him on Mother's Day morning, and she said, the best gift you can give me is to, you know, because I'm a mom, you know, your nephews and everything. The best thing you can get, gift to give me you, uh, is, is to come to church with us. And he's like, no, no, i got to get ready before I go into church. There's no way I can just, just walk into a church. And she said, you know what? I want to see you in heaven, and I don't want you to go to hell. You need to come to church with me. I love it. She loves him. The truth is you're separated from God. And I don't know how to beat around the bush anymore. And he did. Uh, and his wife wept, and he was mesmerized, and they said they're coming back. So, but, but, but most people would say, because I love you, I don't want to push you and neglect the truth, right? And we've all been guilty of it. The truth is, you need to know this, and I have a relationship with you. You've given me the right and the authority to be able to have a And because we have a relationship together, I'm going to speak the truth to you. I love you, but I'm going to speak the truth. And, and... And I appreciate the fact that John has been so forceful with the truth and with love. And with love and the truth, they go together. Not only I, but also those who know the truth because, the tr- because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us. How long will the truth be with us? Forever. Truth lasts and is unchanging. Truth doesn't change. Um, now, I've said it before, that, that old adage that says, if it's true, it's not new, and if it's new, it's not true. It's unchanging. People don't get new revelation of Scripture. The Scripture is a Scripture. They'll get new insight about God that changes who God is. God is God. Um, and it's par- of paramount importance to John. And he says, verse 4, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. There's two things again, right? In truth and love. But notice how he starts verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. I think that is the proper order of experience. Grace, mercy, and peace. And, and, and I think that's how it should be experienced. Why? Because grace is the understanding of the unmerited and undeserved favor and blessing from God. That he has lavished goodness on us apart from who we are, apart from what we've done, in spite of what we've done. That he said, I'm going I'm to be gracious to you while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's, that's a lot of grace there because you didn't deserve it, right? And, and so he, God always leads with grace. And when we understand the grace of God, then we can understand the mercy of God. Because the mercy says, I'm going to withhold from you what you do deserve. And, and so we experience the grace of God and we realize how good you are. In spite of, because I know me. How good you are. And then I realize, oh wait, if you've been that good, that means you have not leveled against me what I deserve. None of us has reaped all that we've sowed. Right? Yeah. None of us. And, and so the realization experience of grace leads us to then the realization of mercy. You've been so good to me and you have withheld from me what I deserve. And when you live with the understanding of the grace and favor of God in spite of yourself and then live with the mirrored understanding of how much he has kept from you that you deserve, you're at peace. Philippians 4, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And, and so I think he, he lists these three in this order. And this is a little different than he's done before. Um, he's, he's usually all in his writing. It's always grace and peace. He throws mercy in there. And, and ju- it could have been just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It could also be that 
that he too is continuing to learn because leaders are learners. And he's realizing that, that grace and peace are important, but mercy, boy, that's a biggie too. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son uh, will be with us in truth and love, both. Um, the old adage in Christian circles was sloppy agape, <laughs> where, uh, you know, agape love, let's just love everybody. Uh, and, you know, we, our, our, the greatest command we can do is just to love. We're just going to love people, not worry about the truth. And, and uh, you know, whether they believe everything we believe or not, you know, whatever. Like the most important thing is to love them. And, and John would say, well, love is very, very important, but you can't love without truth. Because the truth is, love is based on truth. Love is based on the fact that God is holy, we are not. And he sent us son to die for us because we deserve, we deserve punishment and death. That's the truth. And love takes, takes form because truth is in place. And so when you take the truth out, what? Yeah. love doesn't mean anything. Verse 4, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. Um, and now, dear lady, I am not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. Richard, you said that I've heard all this before, right? I mean, these are, I mean how many, John said this over and over and over. Um, I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. He said, it gives me great joy to find that some of you, verse 4, that some of your children are walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Um, there's no greater testimony than when someone starts walking in truth and never walks out of it. Uh, and, you know, growing up in church, I remember sitting at, at camps in youth group junior high and high school. And you, we've all heard testimonies of people who were just, you know, living like the devil and God got a hold of them and totally transformed their lives. And they're just rock stars for the kingdom now. You know, and you think, man, that is awesome. I need to go out and sin a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's just a horrible, horrible understanding. He says, the, the, the great joy I have is that your children are walking in the truth. Like they've, they've lashed on the truth and they're not letting go of it. That's the testimony. You know, at, um, that they're not diverting from the truth. And here's the other thing. They're walking in the truth. He doesn't say, to find that some of your children are walking in love. He said they're, they're walking in truth. So we can't divert from truth in order to love. Does that make sense? And, and, and that is our danger. We divert from truth in order to show love because we think we don't want to offend. In love, we don't want to offend. Now, it's not that we use truth as a club. We use it in love, but those things have to be married together. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. He said in 1 John that you've seen this lived out. I mean, we're just telling you what we've seen. What we've seen is, the, you know, this command of love, and it was fleshed out in the life of Jesus. Uh, I, I ask that, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. Um, that phrase, love one another, is written 13 times in the New Testament. Love one another, 13 times. Ten of them are written by John. And so, so you know, he's known as the apostle of love. This is why. Ten of the 13 times where love one another is commanded in the New Testament, ten of them are from him. And this is what he keeps coming back to. And this is one of the things I love about John's writings. He is consistent all the way through. He... he he highlights the love of Jesus, and we talked about that on Sunday with the washing the disciples' feet, the leaning towards Judas, like this incredible love for someone who was denying and rejecting him. He saw it in Jesus. He starts to live it out in his life, and then by the time he's old, that's the story. I mean, there's, there's such consistency in him, and he's not going to divert from it. This is love that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. Love means obedience. We, we've got to understand that. And sometimes I think our fault is, I love God and rely on his grace so I don't have to worry about obedience as much. 
You know what I'm saying? We've we got to be real careful with this. I love God. He loves me. He's given this grace, this unmerited favor. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about the law. And so obedience is good, and we got to have it. But if there's stuff in my life that I know I'm not obedient, you know what? I love God. He loves me. And his mercy and grace are profound. And there's undeserved favor and blessing. And so I'm going to try to be obedient, but I mean, if I'm not, I love God, He loves me. I'm going to rely on mercy and grace. Yeah, no? (laughs) To obey is to love, and to love is to obey. And, And John. He's an old man and he never diverges from it. His command is that you walk in love. To be obedient means to love, and to love means to be obedient. Verse 7, many receivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. Uh, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the, t- in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. He says, look, he's talked about this before. There are people that are going to come into you and go out of you that are going to try to change the teaching about who Jesus is. He is the holy, righteous God in flesh. Fully God, fully human. Don't run ahead of that. Don't run away from that. Don't get away from that. There's a lot of people that are going to. Um, and if you if if you get away from that, you don't belong to God. If you hold on to that, you do. That's what he's saying. He's, it's real cut and dry. Now watch this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. What he's talking about the, the teaching there is 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 this unique person of Christ, fully God, fully human. If they come to you, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. That doesn't mean don't be nice. It doesn't mean um, don't. um, I'll tell you what it does mean. Back in this culture, there weren't churches like we have churches now. They're all house churches. Uh, And they didn't have pastors like we do now. They had people who were called pastors. And they were... The person of the house that would be kind of responsible for just the pastoral care of the the little group that was being at their house. But they had prophets and teachers and preachers that were like itinerant prophets, preachers, and teachers that would travel around from house church to house church to house church to house church. And that's how they would get their doctrine, their theology, their preaching, and all this stuff. And so what they're dealing with here are these others who don't necessarily, well, who don't affirm the hypostatic union of fully God, fully human, who were coming into the house churches saying, hey, we just want to fellowship with you for a little bit. We love Jesus, but we have a little different understanding of who he is. So let's just, let's just fellowship for a little bit and uh, share meals together and get to know each other. And you tell me what you believe. I'll tell you what I believe. And, and, and that's what he's talking. He said, don't do that. Don't let them into your house to your church, to your fellowship. They have no part of your fellowship. Don't start trying to reason with them in your fellowship. Don't expose those in your fellowship to them because some in your fellowship aren't wise enough or smart enough or mature enough to be able to discern falsity and the spirit of the Antichrist. So just don't. So he's not saying don't be nice and don't talk to but don't do it in the context of, go ahead, tell us what you believe. We'll tell you what we believe. We'll have this conversation. He said, don't even entertain them. It's not smart. Um, And anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. What he's saying is if you welcome them into the church and let them have some teaching or leadership role, you're participating with them in that wicked work of the spirit of the Antichrist and leading people astray. So don't give them a hearing. I mean, don't be nice. Love them, but love them in truth, right? I love you, but you're wrong. And I'm not going to give you free reign to talk to my kids, nor my wife, nor any, you know, I'm not, you don't get to. And anybody who doesn't affirm fully God, fully human, not a man who became a God, Mormonism, 
not a created spiritual being that wasn't God from the beginning, Jehovah's Witness. Not a good prophet like Muhammad, Islam, and everything else. Not a higher consciousness or state of being, Buddhism. Like none of that. Don't give them a hearing. Don't welcome them in. And, and, and third John, this, this is the issue in third John. And it's specifically written to a person. We'll talk about that in a minute. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Um, ministry and church means personal relationships. And that's why we cut off our online service live streamed. Ministry and church means personal relationships. And he said, I can do this long distance, but I don't want to. I can do this online with you, paper and ink, but I don't want to. It's got to be face to face. Um, and then to the children of your, cho- uh, of your chosen sister, send their, or the children of your, of your chosen sister, send their greetings. So anyway, that's Second John. We good? Any questions, comments, additions, alternate readings from Richard's Bible? (laughs) Just real quick, so you were saying um, there weren't, they didn't have the numbers and they didn't break it down into um, paragraphs like Mm -hmm. we did. Mm -hmm. So would 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John have been... Would it have been one letter and, no. and they just broke it Those out? are separate letters. So, so They're separate letters. Separate letters. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so 3 John. 3 John, again, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, th- this one is, we know who this is written to. Okay, this man. This was written in the context still of persecution, but this was written in the context of that, those traveling prophets and teachers. Okay? Um, and, uh, and, and so Gaius was one of the men that was overseeing a, a, a little group of, of Christians. Um, and this is John's warning about those both inside and outside that fellowship who might lead people astray. Um, in the, the early years of the church, in order for people to learn good theology and doctrine, they produce, they being the, 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 the keepers of theology, wrote a thing called the Didache, which is a Greek word for doctrine. And that was this multi-chapter writing that they would, that they would, that would disseminate that laid down good doctrine for the church. One of the two chapters in the Didache addresses these traveling prophets. And it's, this is not in the Bible. This was just in their teaching of, of good and how to discern uh, what was of God and what wasn't. And one of the things that they, that they laid out in this doctrinal uh, teaching was a couple of the ways you discern who a true prophet is and who a false prophet is who are coming into your church. Because what would happen is you get a knock on the door and answer it, and they say, hey, I'm, uh, you know, Bob from Macedonia, and I have a word from the Lord. Uh, and they would let him in, and they would, you know, let him into the church, and everybody would share a, you know, a thought and a prophecy or what a teaching or whatever. And it's just kind of how the church grew that way. And so, and it was the responsibility of the of the the pastor of the home church or members in his little congregation to house those that would come in. Um, they, they didn't have jobs. They, they were it was they would just rely on the hospitality of the Christian church to help take care of them. And so, what ended up happening is 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 you know humans are humans. All we always have been. And there are some who are just leeches and slobs and just want to live off the good graces of other people. And that's one reason Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, like you can produce something. And so part of laying out good doctrine for a good prophet was they said this. If the person wants to stay more than three days, they're not a real prophet. They're not from God. Because all they want to do is mooch off you. So don't let them stay more than three days. 
if they come to you and say, this is, this, this is, this is the, how, <laughs> this, I have my list of food I want to eat while I'm doing ministry. Oh. <laughs> like I want a green room. I want sparkling water. Yeah. I want some uh, purple grapes. I want, you know, a couple bagels with some schmear. I, I want this, you know, if they come to, they're not from God. This all. This was all part of the, like, they'll eat, they'll eat saltine crackers if that's what everybody else is eating. Don't worry about it. If they ask for money for themselves, they're not from God. If they ask for money for someone else who's poor, they are from God. And so it has to do with, okay, so, so you know, in church when people say, you know, when they're praying, they say, oh, I just pray, Lord, I know there's three people here with $10,000 to give their offering. Would you just start their offering? Like, that's not from God. <laughs> um, and so they laid down, and another, another rule of, uh, of the, the Didache was that if they're, if they're staying with you, they can stay more than three days if there is a need of the church for them to stay more than three days. But if they stay more than three days, they have to produce they got to do something other than just tea. They got to, they have to be of some service. And there was always the understanding um, that nobody gets a free ride. Nobody, unless it's a widow who cannot provide or a disabled who cannot provide. Then, then the church needs. Then first, their family has to first before the church does. Uh, and so, and so, so that that's kind of the context around this letter. Be careful, because there's a lot of people that are starting to, like our church, the, the, the church world is starting to gain some momentum, starting to grow, and you're getting a lot of these people that are seeing this as here's a, here's a way to make a quick buck, here's a way to, to not have to do anything, I can be a leech, and because they love everybody. That's why John was like, like truth and love. Be, don't you walk away from the truth, because once you do, once you do, everything starts sliding. Love them. But keep your eyes wide open, right? Mm-hmm. The elder to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. There it is again. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Um, this is an interesting, it's not even a prayer, it's a wish. And it's honestly, it's pretty typical of many well wishes at the beginning of letters, both in the Christian context and outside of the Christian context. So this is not uniquely Christian um, in, in, in its intent. But it's interesting. I pray that, basically we're saying, I pray that you are as healthy physically as your soul is healthy spiritually. That's what he's saying. Now he's not, he's not saying that it will be that way. And so we can't draw the line between... Uh, godliness and health and sickness and ungodliness. That, that's, that's not what he's doing. He's just saying, if I had my wishes, you're doing great. And my wish is that your health was as good as your soul. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, now think if that is the way it really worked. Now just imagine, could you pray this as a prayer for yourself? God, I simply ask, just make me as physically healthy as my soul is healthy. Would that be a dangerous prayer? Yes. <laughs> Maybe it'd be a great prayer for you. I don't know. That's between you and God to answer. But the idea is, one, that, that, that there's a correlation, obviously. And we talked about that last week with the apostle, or, or with, with Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that some of you are sick and have fallen asleep because you've, you've taken advantage of communion. I mean, there's, there's, there is some correlation, but there's not a direct line cause result type thing. And, and, and so read that as this is a pretty common wish that I'm sure that it was John's desire for Gaius because Gaius was really doing well and read it as um, just a little gut check. Like, can I get up in the morning and say, God, I just pray. That I would be as healthy today in my physical body as I am, as I keep my myself healthy in spirit. That might be a little like oh shoot. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna leave that right there. 
Um, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. So, so I, I know you started well, and I, my greatest joy is that you've continued well. And again, notice his emphasis on truth. Not just love, right? But truth. Not the, that old phrase, sloppy agape, let's just love everybody and not worry about what they believe. No, 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 let's worry about what they believe too and let's worry about what we believe. I have no greater joy. That, that's like, it's, I have no greater joy. Like my greatest joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in what? In the truth. In the truth. And it so concerns me, and it's, it's been more and more and more concerning year after year, that I listen to people preach either about simple behavioral modification, how to be a good person, how to be happy, how, how to have a successful life in three easy steps, <laughs> Or pastors preaching about politics. Or preachers and teachers teaching stuff on a slow slide away from theologically sound doctrine. I mean, we're to the point now in churches where universalism is rampant. That there are many roads to heaven. What really matters is if you're sincere and love people. Right. Of churches saying there, you know, there is no hell. Um, I mean, just this whole gamut of things that go away from biblical doctrine um, of sin, salvation, eternity. Of who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and who we are and who we aren't. So if there was a lot of people who were, who were doing this traveling thing, my question since the beginning was, who made sure they were telling the truth? That what they were preaching was true? Well, that's one reason why the Didache was, was circulating around. It's one reason why John was writing these letters. It's one reason why Paul gave inordinate instructions to the church, and those letters would travel from around they were meant to be circular circulatory letters that would go around everyone so they would have this body of of of, of teaching and instruction on biblical doctrine the church would or mm-hmm. the person would no no the church would so they the were they went to go from church to church to church to church yeah yeah okay. yeah but this is why it was so important that both the pastor the leader and its his people were continuing to study and to spend time in prayer and fasting and fellowship with each other because everybody didn't have these. And the more they spent time in prayer and fasting and fellowship and, and studying what they had when they had it, just devouring it, and being open to the Holy Spirit's leading, um, yeah, really important. Um, dear friend, verse 5, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brother's or you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. This is what I was talking about, how they would get these people that coming through. And, 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 and the church didn't know them. They're just these traveling preachers and teachers and prophets. They show up at the door. Uh, and he's saying, you're, you're faithful in what you're doing for them, even though they're strangers to you. Like your hospitality is like everybody knows and it's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Even though they're strangers to you. They go, they, they've told the church like they go around from place to place to place telling about your love. And how well they're treated when they, you know, when they come to you. Um. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. This guy Gaius was overly hospitable to these travelers and preachers and prophets. Like he treated them with such honor um, and, and with such worth and value. 
And the reason is this. Not only did they have all these itinerant people walking, you know, traveling through, but they, you know, they didn't have Ramada Inn and Holiday Inn Express where they could just dial up a room and stay and be by the... The inns in those days were pretty seedy, nasty places. Uh, it's where all the prostitutes hung out. It's where they did their business. Uh, they were, the inns in those days were full of debauchery and drunkards, and it was just not a good place to be. Lots of nefarious characters. That's what that were in, those were inns, and so you didn't want your people there, like the red light district in Amsterdam. Like you, you like why even go? Um, and and so to protect these pastors and teachers and preachers and prophets to protect them and to protect your church and the reputation of your church. Hospitality was a big deal. So we don't want you to stay there and you shouldn't want to stay there. And so let us take you in. You you understand? And so Gaius was doing a, a marvelous job of that, showing them such love, treating them with such honor. And when they would leave, just lavishing upon them whatever they would need to get to their next uh, assignment. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. It was for the sake of the name. He's talking about Jesus, capital N. Like it's, it's, it was for the sake of the name of Christ and his reputation before the world that they went out. So they go on these journeys for Jesus' sake, not for their own. And that's why they came with that list of how to know who was a good prophet and who was a bad one. Because if they're for the sake of the name of Jesus, they're not going to leech off you. They're going to contribute. They're not going to ask for money to put in their pockets. I mean, all this stuff. For the second name, they went out receiving no help from pagans. So it was not that they were asking, you know, from from outside sources to 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 you know to fund their their ministry. Like they expected the church to take care of the church. They expected the body of Christ to give exorbitantly to take care of the body of Christ. Then we're going to go out and look for it from you know endorsements and 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 people who didn't believe in the kingdom. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. The church took care of its own ministry. The church took care of its own people. And I love the, the idea that what John is saying here is by our hospitality, by our giving, by our investing in them, we have as much work alongside them as they do with their own boots on the ground. We're just as much a part of that ministry as they are who are going. Not everybody can go to the mission field. Not everybody can go to Mexico. Not everybody can go to Guatemala. Not everybody can go to Cuba. Not everybody can go plant a church. But when we support that, we have as much play and as much reward as those who are. That's what John is saying. So that we may work together. For the truth, this is a partnership here, um, and we have a play in that by our care for them. I wrote to the church, but uh, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So, so there's Gaius, who's the leader of this, and he's a really good guy. And then there's this guy Diotrephes, and this guy Diotrephes is what I call a church antagonist. He's someone in the middle of the church who, who should not be there. He should be out counseled and kicked out. He's just a pain in the Christian butt. He loves to be first, so he's arrogant, he's egotistical, he's insecure. Insecure people have to be at the front of the line. Immature people have to be at the front of the line. It's so funny when I'm coaching this little baseball team, you know, and we're in the playoffs and we're undefeated, I'm just saying. (laughs) After these kids, little second graders. After the baseball game, we all get together and say, two, four, six, eight, who do I appreciate? You know, all that stuff. And watching these kids, these kids, and, and you know, they're, they're so, they've been, they've been raised by um, lawnmower parents or bulldozer parents that just bulldoze every obstacle in front of them. So they're, they're so insecure that they have to be the first ones at the line. Like, yay, and then we go slap hands, 
and they fight and they hit each other and they're so like if they're not first like the game has nothing to do with it in their mind like they have to be the first ones the first for the stack the first and they're just I mean I expect that of they're just little immature kids that have never had to even start to grow up and and that's who this guy was this little immature punk diatrophies <laughs> He loves me first, will have nothing to do with us. He just this, and look at what John says, little, little 90 plus year old man. So when I come, <clears throat> I'm going to call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us. <clears throat> he said, I'm going to tell him to his face. And I'm going to level some truth. I love the church. I love what God's doing. <clears throat> Hopefully he can come back, but I'm tired of it. Uh, and, and I'm going to confront him about it. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. And so all these people are coming. Like, he's so insecure. He has to protect his position in the church. And I don't want anybody else coming in and getting any other props, and getting any other play, because they might take away from my authority. You know, and unfortunately... Um, there's a lot of established churches that have people just like that in them that are protecting their position and their power. And there's a lot of pastors like that. Uh, and so I love the fact that John says, yeah, when he shows up, I'm going to call attention to it. I would have loved to have seen him get into somebody. That would have been like he's like Yoda. You know, Count Rockwell got a little cane, but when it comes time to fight, they just throw, you know. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Okay, let me just say this. That is great life advice. I mean, that's all it is. Don't imitate what's evil, but imitate what's good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil is not, uh, has not seen God. It's interesting that he says anyone who does what is good is from God. And those who, don't, uh, those who do what's evil, he doesn't say that they're not from God. He says they haven't even seen God. Like, they're not even in the ballpark, those who do evil. It's not that they are, are kind of on the outs with They haven't even seen God. Because when you see God and all of who God is, and the best picture we have of God is Christ. You want to see what God is like? Just look at Jesus. You know, there is no angry God of the Old Testament and loving God of the New Testament. That doesn't exist. Because the best picture we have of the Father is Jesus. And so as hard as it might be to understand the commands of God in the Old Testament, and I'm not saying I understand them all, but the best way to understand them is to understand that is a, that, that's a reflection of Jesus, or Jesus, or somehow Jesus is in that. All those rough commands of God, taking over the promised land and and, and, and what he commanded, somehow, somehow Jesus is, is, is personified in that. Because the best reflection of God is Jesus. And, and so we, we got to get away from this idea of anger God of the Old Testament, loving God of the New Testament. Um, and basically what he's saying here is like, if those who do evil, they, they've not, you, you cannot look at God. And, and by God, I'm saying like, you cannot look at the risen Savior. And continue to live in this evil state. Um, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. And even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that testimony. This is a third person. We don't know exactly who this guy was. But obviously he was, he was on the up and up. So you got Gaius, Diotrephes, and then uh, Demetrius. And I love verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken by everyone. Wouldn't that be the best epitaph? <clears throat> Scott was spoken well of by everyone. That'd be awesome. I mean, not that I want that to be your epitaph anytime soon. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I, I think I have some people who will speak well of me. Um, especially at my funeral. <laughs> I mean, and let's be honest, at funerals, people make stuff up half the time. So, I mean, it's really, really good. Um, I think I got some people that will speak well of me, but I guarantee you I got some detractors. Um, 
it would be wonderful to be well welcomed of by everybody and even by the truth itself. I mean, and we could get real esoteric with that, even by the truth itself. I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Can you imagine being spoken well of by Jesus? We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Again, look at what he says. I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. I mean, it's, it's, we can't get away from this idea that ministry and church is about relationships, personal relationships. Uh, and, and that's what makes it so hard. If faith and church was about right belief alone, it would be easy. If we didn't have to deal with each other. <laughs> right? I mean, it would be so easy. Uh, but I love the fact that this little old man, which you would think, I- I'm so tired. I just want to write you a letter, and I don't want to see anybody. Just go, like. And this little old man still has this incredible heart to say, I love you, you're important to me, you've got to know the truth, you've got to obey it, and I just want to say this to you face to face because you're important enough for my time. I mean, isn't that what we're saying when we're like, eh, eh, I'm just going to mail it in. <laughs> and it's hard. That's what makes it hard. Did he get to these churches or these people? Or is there any knowledge in that? Or? No, because we don't exactly know, like Second John, exactly who it's written to. Right. Now, we do know that after Patmos, he was finally released and uh, went to Ephesus where he died. Okay. And so he got back to the church at Ephesus, at least. Um, and then to close it, peace to you, the friends here, send their greetings, uh, greet their friends there by name. So. so anyway, that's second and third John. There's still some good truth in them, right? There's still some good truth in them. Uh, why? Because the Bible is inspired and all scripture is profitable. So, that's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Good job getting through it, huh? Any last questions, cries, shouts of outrage? I just want to say that this last Sunday, um, my daughter came came to Mm. visit me from Southern California, and she came to church with me. And uh, she she said that your pastor is a very passionate person. (laughs) (laughs) That is a kind way to say it.